I invite you to turn in your Bibles now to 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and you can find that passage in the Bibles around you on page 1021. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. First John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. <clears throat> I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, are not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and uh, we thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. We ask now that your word would abide in us, that we would hear these words of reassurance, of, of gospel hope and truth, and that also we at the same time would hear this warning against worldliness and that we would heed that warning and rest in the love of the Father. And so we pray all this now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Those are the beginning words of the uh, book, The Voyage of the Don Treader by C.S. Lewis in the series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Eustace, he was the cousin of uh, Edmund and Peter and Susan and Lucy. Uh, those were the first children to, to make it to the land of Narnia through a wardrobe. Uh, but Eustace, he was, he was a rude uh, an entitled boy, always complaining. He was just really the true definition of a brat. Well, once when Edmund and Lucy visited their cousin, Eustace, they all found themselves brought into the land of Narnia, or at least they were brought into the waters off, the, uh, off of Narnia, and they, they fell into the sea, thankfully, next to Prince Caspian's ship. <laughs> Well, by and by, they joined Prince Caspian on his, event, his adventures across the sea. And occasionally, along the way, Eustace would hear the, this name Aslan be brought up. And, uh, but he just instinctively hated that name, just like he hated everything else. Well, their, uh, their ship uh, hit, hit some bad times and, and uh, got damaged, and they eventually came to an island, and, in order, uh, and, and they needed to repair their ship. And so Eustace, uh, in order to avoid doing any work to help uh, repair the ship, he, he sneaks off uh, from the others and begins to explore his new, this new island. Eventually, he comes across 
a dead dragon. And he goes into its, its lair, and, and in there he finds uh, all this treasure, crowns and jewels, diamonds, coins, and, then, and, a, and a bracelet that he immediately puts on his arm. And as he stuffed his pockets, he, he thought about how rich he could be living in Narnia. And eventually, he felt a little exhausted and, and tired, and so he, he fell asleep there in the lair. Well, when he woke up, he, fi- he finds out to his great dismay and fear that he himself has turned into a dragon. For a few seconds, he thought about how powerful he was, and maybe he could get back at Prince Caspian and Edmund, but then he quickly realized that's not what he wanted. He wanted friends. He wanted to be human again. He began to despise who he was. He really was a rude boy. Eustace had become what he always was in his heart, a greedy dragon. Brothers and sisters, we become like what we love. We become like what we love. If we love the world and the things of this world, we will become like the world. Greedy, self-serving, entitled, complaining, and worst of all, we'll pass away with the world. The world and everything in the world passes away. It, 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 it dies, it, it breaks, it rusts, fades, weakens, or is lost. I think that's one of the hidden messages in C.S. Lewis's book. And I know it's the message here in the apostle, uh, of the Apostle John here in the first epistle, of which we just read. But that warning against worldliness, that, that wasn't all that we read, was, was it? There, there's two sections, and they're quite different from one another in tone. Verses 12 through 14 are, are words of encouragement and reassurance from this elderly apostle to his beloved fellow Christians. And then in verses 15 through 17, John changes his tone. He gives a word of warning against worldliness. Now these two sections, they could easily be, uh, be two different sermons all on their own. But today we are intentionally looking at these together because they build off of one another and we need them both as we live the Christian life. We need both assurance and warnings. We need to know who we are and who we are to become and what pitfalls to avoid. When John was writing to his people, he had the same challenges as what I have today as I preach. He, he knew that he was writing mostly to, to genuine children of God, but he also knew that not everyone that he was writing to, that, that, that would hear his letter read, not everyone was a genuine Christian. John also knew that the genuine Christians he was writing to were, 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 were facing temptations to, 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 to sin and to live like their old selves. So in the same way, as I preach today, I, I have a similar audience. Most here, I believe, are genuine Christians. But there are some here, however, just given the nature of the size of our church, that, uh, that, that do not know God. And, and I, I, I speak to you as well. And for everyone here, myself included, 
The temptations to love the world are are a common experience. And so this warning is for all of us, not just for unbelievers. So today we're going to hear six words of reassurance to help strengthen our assurance of salvation. And then we'll look at John's warning against worldliness. We'll then end by connecting these two very different sections together and look at two cures for worldliness. Let's look at the first section, verses 12 through 14. As you can see in your Bibles, these verses are they're, they're offset, they're almost kind of like poetry. And we see sets of three. Three times John starts with, I am writing to you. And three times he starts with, I write to you. There are three different ages mentioned by John that he's writing to. There's, there's children, fathers, and, and young men. So why is John all of a sudden changing his writing style? Why, why is he mixing it up? Well, I think what John's doing is I think he's slowing us down. He's drawing our attention right now. He's focusing us. He wants everyone to know, everyone to know, that this letter was written for them, for each one of us. So, are, are there any, any any kids here today? I see a few kids here. So, kids, John wrote this letter of First John for you. This isn't, and the, the sermon is for you too. This isn't just this isn't just for the adults. Because you're young. God wants to speak to you, and he wants to help you know him at a very young age. So this sermon, and the book of 1 John, the whole Bible, kids, it's for you. Now John, he's also speaking to fathers. To the fathers, he says. Now, there's various interpretations of this, but I believe that John is speaking more broadly to, to all the adults, to men and to women. If you think about it, as, as adults, we have a, a tendency to kind of think we already know everything. And, and especially if, if someone is speaking to little children, we tend to assume that like, we, uh, we already know that, we've learned that, and, 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 and we don't, uh, we don't uh, try to learn uh, along, with, along with children. And so I, I, think, I think John is uh, uh, rightly addressing the adults after he's, he's, uh, as, after he's gotten the attention of the children. Then John addresses the young men. I take this uh, to mean that John is speaking to the young adults, uh, to the teenagers and those who are in their their young adult years, uh, those who are in the prime of their youthfulness and strength. If you think about it, uh, right now, who's targeted the most by advertisements? It's the teenagers, right? It's, 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 It's the young adults. Uh, the, the world values beauty, athleticism, strength, freedom, uh, boundless potential, and passion. And young men and women, they, they all have that. So teenagers and young adults here, let me speak directly to you. This letter is for you. This sermon is for you. So now that we know that John is writing specifically to each one of us, what words of reassurance does he have for us who are children of God? Well, as we go through these six reassurances, 
Know that the things mentioned here, they're, they're not just for the specific group that John addresses them to. They're, they're really for all of us, all of us who are children of God, for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus. Now, John first, he starts in verse 12 by, by addressing the children. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. John reassures us all that our sins are forgiven. Now, John himself, he doesn't have the power to forgive sins. And so, at the end of that sentence, he, he adds on to there, he says, for his name's sake, for Jesus' name's sake. It's in the name of Jesus that alone that our sins are forgiven. You can't have your sins forgiven by any other name. Your name is not enough. Because apart from Christ, your name is marred by how you've disobeyed God and, and how we've lived selfishly for ourselves. No one is perfect, and so, so no one can save themselves on the basis of their own name. It is only by hiding ourselves in the name of Jesus, his, Him as our secure refuge, that God the Father forgives us of our sins. So, children of Trinity Presbyterian, and men and women, youth and young adults, as surely as you have looked to Jesus for alone, for the forgiveness of your sins, you are truly forgiven. At the end of verse 13, John addresses the children once again. He, he tells them this, You know the Father. You know the Father. That's so beautiful. Here John is reminding us of our adoption. As we read earlier, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What a privilege it is that, that even, though, even though you may be young in the faith, even though, even though uh, you may feel like you don't know much theology, you don't have any Bible verses memorized, you can say that you know the Father. What a privilege. Next, John speaks to the fathers. He reassures them in verses 13 and 14 uh, with the same reassurance. He says that you know him who is from the beginning. You know him who is from the beginning. Now, now uh, who, is, who is John referring to? Well, do you remember the, the very first words in this letter? That which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. Now, that's when John is speaking about Jesus. So here, John's, John's, John's speaking uh, of Jesus Christ, that, that, uh, that, that you know Jesus Christ. Jesus has existed from eternity past with the Father. And so we can say that not only do we know the Father, we also know the Son. And in fact, if you know the Son, you know the Father. And if you know the Father, you know the Son. Finally, John speaks to the young men. In verse, uh, verse 13, John tells them, you have overcome the evil one. And then in verse 14, he expands that uh, even more, saying, you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John wants young adults to know where their true strength comes from. It comes from God's word abiding in them. 
And that is true for all of God's children. Young or old, we are strong when the word of God lives in us. Now, the word of God living in us, that's, just not, that's not just merely facts in our brain. It's a living knowledge. It's living because the Holy Spirit makes it alive. And life looks like us believing his word and living it out, obeying it. That's how the word abides in us. It makes its home in us. It's, it lives in us. God's word abides in us, and that is why we have overcome the evil one. Uh, before a war, military generals strategize uh, how they're going to uh, defeat their enemy. But as Christians, we have already overcome our enemy from the moment we were born again. It's amazing. First John 5, 4-5 summarizes this very well. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, we have overcome the world by our faith. Our victory is already done. It is in the past It's at the cross, and it's at the empty tomb. We have overcome the world. So the Apostle John, he he reassures us six different times. and, And after he has laid that secure foundation for us, then he moves to a warning. A warning. We have already overcome the ruler of this world, Satan, And now we are warned against loving the world. We have victory, but there is still a battle to be fought. And there are some among us who need their eyes opened by this warning here to see that they have fallen prey to loving the world above all. So look with me now at verses 15 through 17. Here we see a command followed by three reasons why we should heed and obey this command. Let's first look at the meaning of of the warning, do not love the world or the things in the world. First of all, uh, what, what does John mean here when he says the world? The world. Well, as you read... First, second, third John, and as you read the Gospel of John, and as you read John's uh, the, the book, the Revel, you know, Revelation, when you read uh, those five of John's writings, you begin to see that that uh, he uses the word "world" in different senses depending on the context. I mean, take John three sixteen for instance: "For God so loved the world." Now, if John if John meant the same thing about the world there as he means here, then that would mean that God would be loving the world and he would be sinning. And that, that's obviously not, not the case. So what, what does John mean here about the world? Well, I think 1 John 5.19 gives us the best description of, of what it means uh, by the world in, in our, our specific passage. So in, in 1 John 5.19, uh, John says, We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the world here, and in our passage, it's, is every area of life where Satan has, has power and influence. Power and influence. John is not referring to just everything on planet Earth, physical and spiritual. Satan does not have all power over animals, trees, rocks, diseases, natural disasters, laws of nature, and of course, Christians. Robert Yarbo, he defines the world helpfully this way. He says, as a whole, it is a realm that does not or will not recognize Christ and that despises people who follow Christ. I think that's pretty good. Uh, Douglas O'Donnell also has uh, good insight here. He says that the world here is one that has abandoned its creator and lives apart from his rule. In the book of Revelation, the world is what John calls Babylon. So as you're reading that, think, and you hear Babylon, think of the equivalent of what John is mentioning here as the world. So John is commanding us to not love the Christless, godless culture and influences around us. Uh, to not love anything that is being used by Satan to deceive, deface, distract, disobey, destroy, and ultimately damn. To sum it up in one word, we are commanded to avoid worldliness. Now, now that's very broad, that's really big, but that's actually intentional. Because we are thoroughly surrounded by the world and by worldliness. Sin is everywhere, and people use all the things of this world for sin. Even the things that God has created and given as good gifts for us to enjoy with thankful hearts. People use those things as well for sin. Now, instead of going off on a long list of specific examples of worldliness to avoid, John goes on to three reasons why we should heed this warning. The first reason is that in the last half of the verse, verse, uh, the first reason is in the last half of verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in him. Now, in light of the definition of the world, this verse doesn't mean that if you really love Chipotle, the Minnesota Twins, going to the gym, having a cold beer, having a movie night, enjoying a side hobby that makes you some extra cash, wearing a nice piece of clothing. This passage, John is not saying that that automatically means that you are worldly and you don't love the Father. That's not what he's saying. I believe that John, what John is speaking about here is he, he's speaking to, to two different people. And, and he's speaking to unbelievers and to believers, but in two different senses. In one sense, he's speaking to those who are not truly saved because they love the world 
ultimately and finally. They love Satan's rule. They're comfortable with it. They enjoy its pleasures and values. And they're at peace with disobedience to his rule. Or they're at least at peace with ignorance of what he commands. Now if that describes you today, John is warning you that that you need to wake up. You need to see that the love of the Father is not in you at all. Loving the world and loving the Father, they're complete opposites. They don't mix at all. It's oil and water. John is probably building off of Jesus' sermon, uh, his Sermon on the Mount, when he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If you serve the world and Satan, you will love it and despise God and his commandments. You will either have Satan as your father or God as your father. Who's going to play that fatherly role for you? Who will you trust to provide for you, to care for you, to give you what's best for you? Is the world going to do that for you? If God is convincing you, convicting you right now of this today, then, then there's God's mercy is here. His arms are open wide. He's calling you to, to pray to him, to confess your sin, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of, the, of your sins and to just receive the love of the Father as a newly adopted child of God. That's the beauty of the grace of God. He convicts enemies in one second and then they turn into children, his children the, the very next. It's a beautiful thing. Now, when I found out I was going to preach this passage, I, I knew that I would have to wrestle, wrestle down some really difficult questions with this passage and particularly this particular verse. Some questions that went through my mind were, well, if, if I have any worldliness in me, any at all, does that mean I don't love the Father at all? And does that then mean that I'm not saved? If I love any aspect of this world, does that make me a fake Christian? Am I just putting on a show? Does a genuine Christian actually not struggle with loving the things of the world? Those are some of the really hard questions I had to wrestle through. And, uh, and here's where I think John is speaking in, in a second sense, where he is speaking to believers, not just to unbelievers here. He's also speaking to believers whose lives are, uh, are, 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 have, have uh, on a daily basis a struggle with worldliness. John is also saying here that, that, that when we as Christians, when we as Christians love the world, at that moment, at that very moment, we are not loving the Father. You cannot simultaneously both love the world and love the Father at the same time because the two don't mix. However, uh, you can, as a Christian, love the world in one moment and be sinning, and then the next moment 
love the Father. You cannot simultaneously love them both, but you can have this tension in your life, this inconsistency. We are simultaneously sinners and saints. We walk by the Spirit, and yet we also often gratify the desires of the flesh. The state that we are in, is it's, it's no excuse for worldliness. I mean, John's not excusing it at all. He's, he's not making peace with worldliness and just saying, well, you're, you're going to be a sinner until you're glorified, so don't stress over holiness too much. And he's not saying, well, you're, you're, you're justified, so, so, so don't worry. That's not at all what John's saying here. We do not make peace with sin. 1 John 3.3 says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's the mark of a Christian. We purify ourselves. We grow in sanctification. The Bible describes the Christian life as one that is at war with sin. And so, so we, as Christians, we feel these two tensions. The first tension is that we have overcome the evil one. And the second tension is that we are to continue to wage war against the evil one. That's the tension that we must all live with as Christians. Victory and war. Justification and sanctification. The second reason John gives against worldliness is in verse 16. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We see here that we should avoid worldliness because it's not from the Father. Now, John does something really amazing here. So far, we've, we've considered the world and the worldliness that's all around us. Perhaps you've been thinking of specific examples in our culture of worldliness. But what John does next is really amazing. Instead of just listing off examples of things outside of us that are worldly, he lists three things that are within us, that are the root of all worldliness. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Brothers and sisters, our main problem is not with the worldliness outside of us. Yeah, that's a problem. It's, it's a big problem. But our biggest problem is the worldliness within us. The desires of the flesh. What, now, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, the desires of the flesh, that refers to temptations that come from within our own hearts to indulge in the pleasures of the senses. You know, this could include, for example, uh, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, uh, lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, sex outside of marriage, and sometimes even sleep. Sleep's a good thing, but sometimes it can be a, a desire of the flesh. The desires of the eyes... John's speaking about the desires of the heart that look out into the world 
and covet. We want what we do not have. We are all like our mother Eve, who, when she saw the forbidden fruit, it says there in Genesis that it was a delight to the eyes. A delight to the eyes. And so she took it and ate it. And, and we too, we too covet what we do not have. And, and, and if, we, if we don't get what we want, my, how we can complain and grumble and get angry until we get what we want. Covetousness, it's actually idolatry. Now that's what uh, the book of Colossians says. And, and if you've read, you read 1 John, remember, what's the last thing that John says in his book? He says, he says little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's how he ends the letter. So idolatry and covetousness and, and thus worldliness, these are things that are not beyond Christians. It's, these things are rather things for us to be daily aware of and denying ourselves of. Now, the third thing in John's list is pride of life. Pride of life. Uh, I really like how the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it. It, it, It's translated as the pride in one's lifestyle. The pride in one's lifestyle. I I, I like a lot lot about that. And I think it begins to get at the sense of what John's speaking about. Within us, there can be a pride that we are self-made people. We pulled up our bootstraps and we got to where we are because of how smart we are. How, how good we are, and how hard we work. The pride of life makes uh, possessions and, and job status and, and, uh, and a trophy wife or a trophy husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. These are all the marks of success and identity. And the pride of life boasts. And so often it's a boasting that doesn't ever cross the lips, but it dwells in the heart. It's not generous. It's not servant-hearted. So these three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, are the root causes of all worldliness. And they are not from the Father. So we as his children, we, we shouldn't yield to these temptations. The final reason John gives for not loving the world is in verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Everything in the world has an expiration date. Anything you want to buy will soon one day break, or it'll go out of style, or maybe you already buy things that are out of style. Or it'll be thrown away, and you'll just replace it with something else. Every lust promises this complete satisfaction, but it only delivers temporary pleasure, and then emptiness follows. And then what comes back is a hunger for more. We need to see how temporary this world is, how temporary the things of the world are. And we need to live our lives for that which truly lasts forever. That is true wisdom. This wisdom 
that John is highlighting right here is the same wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The world is passing away, but we will not pass away with the world. John ends this warning passage with a promise that whoever does the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters, let's let's turn our eyes and ears away from the pleasures and the lifestyles, the philosophies of the world, and let us set our faces toward doing the will of our Father in heaven and that great reward of eternal life that he has promised to his children. So we've looked at two very different passages. The first was reassuring, and it reminded us of the gospel and that secure relationship that we have with God. And the second was convicting and challenging. But I hope that you experience the benefit of of hearing the first, the, the words of reassurance, of hearing the gospel afresh before diving into that, that solemn warning. We need them both. Now before we end, I, I want to bring both of these passages together and, and close with two cures for worldliness. The first cure is that we are to abide in God's word. In 1 John 2.14, Why are the young men strong? Why have they overcome the evil one? It's because what John puts right in the middle of it. Because the word of God abides in them. That is the essential cure for worldliness. A parallel passage to, to this is, is Romans 12.2. There's so many similarities. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may test and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world is trying to put each one of us into its mold to program us like a robot to do what it says and to say what it wants and to value what it values. Romans 12 says that the defense against conformity to the world is renewing your mind in understanding what God's will is. Renewing your mind with God's will is the same thing as what John's talking about with abiding in God's word. They're they're, they're the same thing. Worldliness is all around us, and worldliness is within us. And so we need to read and know God's word and be conformed to the image of Christ instead of the image of this world. We become like what we love. A second cure for worldliness is found in verse 13 when it reassures us that we know the Father. We are to rest daily in knowing that we have a loving relationship with the Father. We know Him and He knows us. 
John doesn't just tell us to, to just stop loving the world without giving us anything to fill that void. Instead, he gives us a far greater love. The love of the Father. If you're tempted to love the world, remember and meditate on the Father's love for you. We become like what we love. If we love the world, we'll become like it. But if we love the Father, if we receive His love, if we rest in it, we will become like Him. Brothers and sisters, if we have the love of the Father, why would we need to love the world? Eustace doesn't stay a dragon. He meets Aslan. And though Eustace tries to heal himself and scrape his own dragon skin off, he's unable. He cannot change himself. Aslan then cuts deep into him, into his very heart, and he tears Eustace out of his old dragon skin. He washes him in a nearby pool, and then he gives him new clothes. As for the gold that Eustace used to love, he left it behind. He said, oh, somebody else can have it. And as for his strained relationships with his cousins and and others, those began to change. Lewis writes, It would be nice, and fairly nearly true, to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. Amen. And the cure has begun for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent us your Son to be an atoning sacrifice for us, for our sin that we may become adopted into your family. Who are you that you would make your enemies your friends and even, even your own children? Oh Lord, we ask that each one of us here, that we would rest in the love of the Father, that we would see how empty the love of the world is. Lord, I ask that you'd help each one of us to, 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 to daily turn away from worldliness that's within our own hearts. That we would have self-control and deny ourselves of the pleasures of this world and instead live for the will of God to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we ask, Lord, for this strength. Oh, Lord, we praise you. We praise you, Father, that your love is better than life. In Jesus' name, amen.